Hello and welcome back to the American Studies and History Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Darren R. Reed, and like last time, I want to once again apologise for the atrocious quality of my voice this episode. Unfortunately, the cold I had back then still hasn't entirely shifted, so you have to put up with me croaking away for the next little while. Anyway, in this episode, I thought that we could try something a bit different by exploring the Cold War in the 1980s through the music of Pink Floyd and Roger Waters. Unfortunately, I cannot add any audio clips, which would have been great to this episode, for obvious copyright reasons. But if you head over to my website at www.darrenreedhistory.co.uk and look for the post which accompanies this episode, you will find a full blog post with some relevant YouTube clips. And can I also suggest that if you don't already have the albums that we're going to discuss in this episode, now might be a good time to consider investing in them. The main one you need to think about is The Final Cut by Pink Floyd, Radio Chaos by Roger Waters, and A Momentary Lapse of Reason by Pink Floyd. Remember that you can follow me on Twitter at ThatHistorian for more discussion on American studies and history, and also remember to check the website for regular updates. Enjoy the episode! If the recent appearance of Ding Dong The Witch Is Dead on the UK's single chart reminds us of anything, it's that the pop charts can be a powerful forum for grassroots protest. Regardless of age, gender or race, the music one buys, or if one is indeed capable, the music one creates, can be a potent political act, allowing one's voice to be heard in a time when the message that they wish to convey flies in the face of the mainstream media narrative of the day. Although active on the world's musical stage since the mid-1960s, for Pink Floyd songwriter Roger Waters, it was not until the 1980s that music and protest became synonymous. Working as a part of the Floyd and later as a solo artist, Waters offered two important records which sought to deconstruct and lay bare the policies of Western leaders Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. Among fans of the band, these records can be divisive associated as they are, to Waters' tragically bitter split with the rest of the group. But viewed in the context of their time, they document changes not only in the band, but in the world which the band inhabited. The politicisation of the band's music was fundamentally tied to the renewal of the Cold War. Released in 1983, Pink Floyd's The Final Cut was a loud, uncompromising cry against the policies of Thatcher, her response to the Falklands crisis, and more broadly, the spiralling Cold War tensions of the time. Brash, angry, and mostly lacking in subtlety, the album had originally been conceived as a type of spin-off from the band's previous record, 1979's The Wall. With a brilliantly unbalanced movie by Alan Parker, which had been based upon that album, now out in theatres, the plan had been to produce an accompanying soundtrack record, which would feature a mix of new tracks, such as When the Tigers Broke Free, and older material re-recorded for the film. With the outbreak of the Falklands War, and, as Waters saw it, the betrayal of the post-war dream, however, the record quickly outgrew its original remit. 
Although Waters' role as the band's principal lyricist had given him a large amount of control over what the band had previously said, the group had mostly steered clear of politics, only sprinkling their songs with the occasional anti-war sentiment. Forward they cry from the rear, and the front line dies, being a potent example from 1974's Us and Them. By 1979, that situation was beginning to change, as Waters began the process of reflecting upon his own life in the band's music. The resultant album, The Wall, was one of the great musical masterpieces of the 20th century, providing a commercial and critical hit that would continue to resonate with listeners years and even decades after its original release. A deeply, sometimes shockingly personal record, that album reopened old wounds for Waters, not the least of which was the death of his father in World War II. With tensions ramping up over the Falklands in early 1972, Waters became increasingly irate at the Thatcher government's apparent readiness to ignore potential diplomatic solutions in favour of a military response to the escalating crisis. As he saw it, the sacrifice made by his father was one for a world in which diplomacy, not the lives of young men and young women, resolved such disputes. To quote the Gunner's Dream from the final cut album, and everyone has recourse to the law, and no one kills the children anymore. Now such a view is not necessarily a widespread one, and even in the band, Waters' politicisation of the group's music proved to be divisive, with guitarist David Gilmour particularly unhappy that the group was now openly criticising the government. With Thatcher's Falklands War still generally well remembered in the UK, the final cut's precarious position becomes all the more apparent. With albums such as Animals and The Wall, politics was not entirely absent from the Floyd's back catalogue, but with the final cut, Waters' politics eschewed the abstract approach of the past in favour of a full-on frontal attack. Tracks such as The Gunner's Dream may have been wistful, but the album's opener, alongside other songs such as Get Your Filthy Hands Off My Desert and Southampton Dock, tackle their subject head-on and with little ambiguity. As Waters asks rhetorically on the album's opening track, Should we shout? Should we scream? Whatever happened to the post-war dream? Problematically, such an approach leaves little room for enjoyment if one's politics do not align at least reasonably closely with Waters' own. A general anti-war message is one thing, by direct criticism of a conflict with broad popular support, well that's something else entirely, and that is what the final cut was all about. In terms of music, the album is one of the band's flatter efforts, lacking much of the subtlety and nuance of their 70s compositions. The sound of military bands and brass instruments often overbear, whilst the general tone of the record verges upon morose for much of its runtime. That being said, there are moments where the lyrics and the music reach the same dizzying heights, such as the songs The Post-War Dream, The Gunner's Dream, The Final Cut and Not Now John. And both David Gilmour's and Nick Mason's contributions to this record deserve recognition, 
particularly Gilmer's guitar work on the Fletcher Memorial Home and post-war dream. But if the relative failure of the music does anything, it provides a canvas over which the content of the lyrics and Waters' fury can be laid bare. Unlike, say, The Dark Side of the Moon, the final cut is the antithesis of timelessness. It is a record fundamentally rooted in the period in which it was recorded. Bitterly sarcastic lyrics about the construction of new British warships in Japan can only really be understood when the album's broader context is known. To put that another way, this is not a particularly accessible album. At least, it isn't accessible in the sense that much of the meaning which underpins the record can be grasped only when one understands precisely what was happening in the Americas and in Britain in 1982. Timeless, then, this album is not. But enduringly angry, furious even, it remains. The subject of the anger may not be initially clear to new listeners. Like many historic documents, the original sentiment remains intact. Although it is the Falklands Crisis, which is the central bone of contention at the heart of this record, the final cut is really an attack upon a broader series of Cold War issues, events and escalations. In the Fletcher Memorial Home, the songwriter fantasises about the future decrepitude of the tyrants and kings, Regan, Thatcher and Brezhnev, whom he identifies as the chief adversaries of peace. For Waters, each of these individuals was actively engaged in betraying the post-war dream, the consequences of which were a subject that he, and to a lesser extent his former bandmates, would return to in 1987. With Waters' departure from Pink Floyd in 1985, the group essentially fractured into two distinct, but still related projects, Waters' solo career and a David Gilmer-led version of the group. By 1987, both parties were ready to release new recordings, and though both projects were sonically and thematically distinct, each continued to explore some of the broader themes which had defined the final cut. For the Gilmer-led Floyd, 1987's A Momentary Lapse of Reason was a runaway commercial hit, which proved that the band's fans were willing to accept a version of the group which did not feature Waters. Of course, the departure of Waters necessitated some significant creative changes, with outside writers having to be leveraged to produce much of the lyrics which appeared on that record. Unlike previous albums, no overall concept tied the individual tracks on that record together. But with the Dogs of War, Gilmer and lyricist Anthony Moore reflected at least some of the broader ideas which defined the band's previous album. Like some of the more abstract tracks on the final cut, The Dogs of War offered a critical framework for spiralling international tensions without criticising any specific politicians or governments. Indeed, Moore's lyrics might even imply a defence of the same leaders that Waters had sought to attack. Consider these lyrics from the song. For hard cash we will lie down and deceive, even our masters, don't know the web we weave. 
quite who the Dogs of War are is never exactly made clear in this song, but the music, provided by Gilmer, at least ensures that the listener understands how angry these individuals should make us. Now, lyrical vagueness aside, the Dogs of War serves as an interesting postscript to the final cut, announcing a solidarity with that album's idealised pacifism, if not its criticism of the American and British governments of the time. That same year, Roger Waters released his second solo album, and his first since departing the group, a highly contemporaneous record which was concerned almost entirely with the Cold War. Unlike the final cut, Waters' new album, called Radio Chaos, was less concerned with attacking specific governments than it was in pointing out how absurdly dangerous the political climate of the time had become. Like his previous work with the Floyd, Radio Chaos was constructed around a highly developed concept, an on-air conversation between the host of an LA radio station and a mentally disabled Welshman named Billy, who is able to control radio waves and thus remotely control electronic equipment. Over the course of the album's first seven tracks, Billy's life story is related to the listener. He comes from a mining background, has suffered under a conservative government, all reflections of the final cut, until he hacks both eastern and western nuclear systems, apparently setting both of them off. As the moment of truth arrives, nothing. No launches, no explosions. But, as the eighth and final track of the record explains, having truly stared down the nuclear barrel, mankind is no longer willing to do so again. Okay, a subtle album this is not, but its eight tracks are designed to emphasise how disconnected people can be from the politicians who represent them. The desires, hopes and dreams of the masses are contrasted with the absurdities of the threatened nuclear annihilation which underpinned the whole Cold War. Whilst it's probably fair to say that both A Momentary Lapse of Reason and Radio Chaos share some important thematic overlap, it is Waters who, perhaps unsurprisingly, continue to explore the Cold War in an album-length format. The song The Dogs of War captures a sense of anger and frustration, to be sure, and Gilmer's vocal performance is both intense and full of emotion, but the exploration of international tensions is not something which defines the rest of that album. Probably because that was never Gilmer's intention in the first place. Like Genesis with the release of their album Invisible Touch the preceding year, Gilmer created an album not bound by any one concept, but an album which featured a single track that specifically explored the implications of living in a world dominated by the threat of nuclear war. For Genesis, that track was Land of Confusion, and for Gilmer's Pink Floyd, it was The Dogs of War. In contrast, Waters threw himself at exploring the Cold War in a more all-encompassing way, continuing his previous practice of constructing albums around broad concepts and detailed narratives. Musically speaking, Radio Chaos is a melange of often regrettable 80s sounds, programmed drums, layered synthesizers, processed guitars, which have served to really date that record. 
This is a problem which also affects a momentary lapse of reason, though definitely to a lesser extent. The opening track on Radio Chaos, for example, is a deliberate attempt to create a very contemporary sounding pop rock track. The result being something which sounds a bit like the Bugles hit Video Killed the Radio Star as it might have been performed by Dire Straits. Such an era-specific sound can be distracting for modern readers, particularly those eager for a reprise of 1974's Dark Side of the Moon. But for all the problems brought about by the 1980s distinctive approach to music production, there is a certain genuineness which can be found in the final result. Radio Chaos sounds very much like an album recorded in the latter half of the 1980s, but considering its desire to explore the politics of that day, that effect only adds to the retrospective atmosphere created during latter-day explorations of the disc. The Dogs of War provides a somewhat similar experience, but it's far more appropriate to parallel that track to the aforementioned Land of Confusion by Genesis, or even Two Tribes by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. These bands were working in a context in which the Cold War was a matter worth discussing, but it was not necessarily one so important that warranted an entire album to explore. In contrast, Waters' growing activism led him in a different direction, which emphasised the lyrical continuity between his latter-day projects and his earlier work with the band. On the final track of his Radio Chaos album, Waters provides an intensely personal and genuine deconstruction of his own feelings towards the threat posed by nuclear war, which, more than anything else, helped to frame the growing role his political activism had played in his music since the turn of the decade. From the song The Tide Is Turning, I used to look in on the children at night, in the glow of their Donald Duck light, and frightened myself with the thought of my little ones burning. But the tide is turning. Now perhaps it's because I'm a parent myself that I see something particularly relevant in those lyrics. But unlike most protest songs of the era, those from Frankie Goes to Hollywood or Genesis, there appears in that song to be some reflection of a deeply personal emotion beyond the typical war is bad message. In that track, Watts provides listeners with a sense of who he is and why he had chosen to tackle the subject that he tackled in a way that goes far beyond the latent anger he harboured for the death of his father. Instead, he offers an insight into how the escalation of the Cold War was affecting him personally. Whilst the Dogs of War served as a perfectly legitimate expression of Gilmore's anger about the Cold War, that was a subject which overlapped significantly with much of the material on the final cut, particularly the Gilmer song track, Not Now John. But, in The Tide Is Turning, Waters found expression for something else. The fear of war, and how that fear manifested itself in his and his family's daily lives. Of course, that is not to say that Radio Chaos is a better album than A Momentary Lapse of Reason. That is a highly subjective and deeply personal decision, which only an individual listener can arrive at. But, the tide is turning, does serve as a masterful postscript to a period of Cold War-influenced song construction from Pink Floyd and its related projects. Prior to the wall, 
1979, the subject of war was rarely at the centre of the band's music. But as the events of the Cold War unfolded throughout the 1980s, the subject of conflict became one of the group's main concerns. These albums and the songs that we've discussed are documents not only of a band fracturing and splintering, which it surely was, but of a growing sense of uneasiness and of discontent over the escalation of tensions between East and West. Whilst contemporary movies like Rambo 3 glorified in the renewed chance for conflict and violence which the 1980s appeared to offer, on the pop charts, a different point of view was able to find expression. Hardly controversy free and certainly not universally acclaimed, the records produced by Pink Floyd, Roger Wars and even Genesis and Frankie Goes to Hollywood during this period were, to varying degrees, acts of protest which flew in the face of the mainstream political narratives favoured by the governments of the time. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the American Studies and History podcast. Remember to follow me on Twitter at ThatHistorian and visit my website at www.darrenreadhistory.co.uk Thanks for listening. Music for this episode is Dance Moriarty from Incompetech.com and Floating in Space by PurplePlanet.com.